Now it's time to be educated and entertained by the country's most famous environmental scientist, Joey Diaz Research Grizzly Bear, Wolves, and Birds of Prey. He continues to travel all across America to bring you the very best that nature has to offer. Be ready to be amazed. Here's your host, Joey B. Hello and welcome to Joey B. Outdoor Science and Nature. Man, do I have the coolest job. I travel all across America to bring you the very best that nature has to offer. Today's show is about a tiny little creature, the carpenter ant. I have a guest who is a PhD student from Cornell University who is studying entomology, which is the study of insects. Chloe Jelly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, Chloe, and later on in the show, we'll get back to and teach, uh, telling folks about how our association began many years ago. But today, let's discuss the carpenter ant. Now, let's talk about first about the ant in the wild, and then we'll get a little into a little bit about the infestation in a home. So why don't you begin to talk about what is the life cycle of a carpenter ant? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things to talk about when it comes to life cycles of ants. So I kind of like to split it up in my head in like two different ways. You kind of have the colony life cycle, and then you have the life cycle of an individual. So I guess I'll start with the life cycle of an individual so you can kind of get a sense of how an individual ant that comes to be. So every ant starts off as an egg that's laid within the nest and then that egg progresses and it develops and it becomes um, what's called a larva or a larvae. And this is an immature of an ant. So it's like a baby ant, if you say. Um, and then they have another stage where they develop into uh, pupae. So this is kind of like, if you picture like a butterfly or like a moth, they have their larvae stage is a caterpillar and then their pupil stage is like a cocoon. Ants have something similar, they're a similar type of insect. So they go from a larvae to a pupae, which is kind of like a little cocoon that's within the nest. And then once they have fully developed into an adult, they close, they, um, they emerge from that pupae and out comes a fully formed adult ant. And it's the size that it's gonna be for the rest of its life. So that's kind of like the general flow um, for any kind of individual ant. So it goes from egg to larvae to pupae. And then you have your adult ant, which could be a worker, which is a female. It could be a, a queen, which is a female, or it could be a male. Um, so there's two types of females and then there's one type of male. And then, so that's like the, that's the life cycle of an individual. And then you have the life cycle of a colony. So a colony is started by um, the mating flights. So, um, so males are winged. I don't know if you knew that about male ants, but male ants are winged and so are the queens. So they start with um, mating, a mating flight. And then once the mating occurs, the queen can then found her colony. So she goes off and she sheds her wings and she uses that um, nutrition. She dissolves the muscles that were being used to fly. And she uses that nutrition to start her colony where she begins laying the eggs. So then that colony can then progress and it slowly, she starts laying eggs and there's more workers to help lay more eggs and it kind of expands from there. So that's kind of like the life cycle 
of a colony. See, that, that's really cool. And as you described that, because um, many people don't think that carpenter ants have wings. And you're saying the males do and the queen does. And then mm -hmm. as you described that with the queen, and I'm just thinking about the queen being this royal person and her shedding the wings and basically everyone is sort of bowing down to her, but obviously her function is to reproduce and make more carpenter ants. So yeah. one of the things that people then have, and I'm gonna to get to size and color in a second, but because you're talking about wings, people are talking about, well, what's the difference between an ant and a termite because they will find them in their homes. Can you make that distinction? Yeah, yeah, this is um, this is like a common thing where like sometimes you like you can look at a winged termite and you can look at a winged ant and they look fairly similar at first, but there's a few things that that like any I think anyone could really identify it, even if you're not used to like looking at insects and looking at like those minute differences between them, and that being that ants have um, their antennae, um, they are bent, whereas like termites termites have like straight antennae. So that's like one difference that you can see if you're looking at an insect in your home and you're trying to figure out if it's an ant or a termite. The other, the other thing that's very, very noticeable is the waist of the insect. Um, so termites will have like a broad waist where in ants, it'll be more like cinched or like thin. And those, those two defining characteristics are probably the best ways to determine if you're, if you're in your house and you're wondering what kind of, what kind of problem you're dealing with. Uh, those two characteristics, I think, are super easy to look for. So basically you're saying that ants have a slimming feature to them at the waist. And yeah, that, kind of like yeah. a wasp, yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go. Mm -hmm. Now, if I wanted to talk about the ant size, we're talking about carpenter ants, ant size and color, can you uh, teach us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So carpenter ants, I, I think they're they're a pretty big ant to begin with. Like you can, if you notice, there's some ants that you may find in your garden that are a lot smaller, or like out on the sidewalk. Whereas carpenter ant, if you see them walking around, they're pretty big and pretty recognizable. Um, but there's also um, there's not much size variation. Like I said, when they leave that pupil stage, they're about as big as they're ever gonna get. Um, but interesting with interesting thing with carpenter ants is that they have a lot of size variation that could be within the colony depending on how old the colony is. If it's a very large colony and it's producing um, a lot of workers, most likely it will have larger, um, larger workers and smaller workers and they will oftentimes do different jobs. Um, but yeah, and then with the coloration, ants don't typically have a lot of color variation, but as as they get older, they do tend to get a little bit darker um, just as their exoskeleton hardens a little bit. And actually when ants leave their pupil stage, um, they're what's known as callow workers and they're actually um, completely white. They will remain in the nest until their exoskeleton has fully hardened. So if you ever pull apart an ant nest and you see um, white workers walking around, those are the ones that have just left their pupil stage. No, and, and it's funny, and, and I have seen that many times. And mm -hmm. That's really neat. And the exoskeleton, when it hardens, it truly does get hard. Um, 
that's one of the things, because again, that's their protection, so to speak, out there. Mm -hmm. So if we were looking at colony size, and I know this could be a varying number, but can you talk to a little bit about the size of a colony? Yeah, yeah. So the size of colony can be dependent on a lot of different things. It can be dependent on the age of the colony. Like I said, when a queen founds a colony, it's only going to be a few workers large. It's, it's not going to be that big at all. But um, in theory, if the colony does well, it'll increase to maybe in like the thousands for carpenter ants. And there's a few different species around the East Coast of the U.S. specifically that they could reach pretty, pretty large sizes, maybe up in, up into the tens of thousands of individuals. If it's a, if it's a longstanding colony, if it's doing well. Um, yeah, that's, there's definitely a lot of variation, but ten, um, depending on the resources that the colony is near, um, how old the colony is and what species it is. And what do they feed on? Oh, they feed on all sorts of things, actually. Um, Ants are really great scavengers, and I think that is kind of one of the reasons they've done so well in nature is they kind of are able to like take advantage of so many different resources. So ants, ants are generally um, predators. They'll eat other insects, um, mostly feeding on like the soft tissue inside of the insect, not the exoskeleton. But um, they also because they can't eat plants directly and they struggle with that, they, they need to find other means to get that like sugary liquid that they need in their diet. Um, so they will tend these sap sucking sacks, <laughs> sap sucking insects called um, hemipterans or true bugs. So those are like the aphids, um, tree hoppers. And those insects are able to use their specialized mouth parts to eat um, plant juices, and then they have this, they have this system where they eat the plant juices and then they're able to excrete the plant juices in the form of honeydew. And the ants are able to use this resource. So they're tending these insects kind of like, kind of like humans tending cattle and getting milk from cows. It's a similar thing, like using this resource to get what they need and like their need to have sugary substances is a reason why they're probably in your house to begin with because they're looking for honey or juices or things like that where they can easily get those carbohydrates that they need um, for the energy for the colony. And, and those two organisms working together in ecology, we use the term association. So there's an association between those two because um, obviously uh, I don't know if the smaller guy is getting a benefit, but the bigger guy definitely is getting the honeydew is getting a benefit from it. Um, well, yeah, so the, the aphids, they do get a benefit. So oftentimes the ants will actually protect them from other potential predators. And they've actually found that they do live longer when they're in association with ants, as opposed to just out in the open. So. So if you have carpenter ants, then you should also see if you have aphids too, because they do go together. They're, pro they're probably somewhere close by, definitely. I'm sure they are. Yeah. And this show is brought to you by Ramsey Outdoor Stores. Whether you shop online or at one of their stores, your experience will successfully gear you up for your next adventure. Go to RamseyOutdoor.com. So, Chloe, my question now is, let's talk about a home infestation 
Well, my farmhouse is currently being occupied by a colony of carpenter ants, and these guys refuse to pay rent, so I have to evict them. So I've tried a few of the, we'll call on-the-market ant traps without success, and one of the things I realized with that was the larger carpenter ants didn't fit into what you would think about, like the typical ant traps that are out there. So... I went and did a little of my own research, found, and again, Chloe, we don't get any paid any money for naming some of these brands, but I found a, we'll call it a deterrent slash repellent slash I'm going to kill you uh, from Sygenta OptiGuard, and it was a gel. And what I created was there is the micro brews, many of the six packs come in, um, you know, a plastic covering for each beer that is there and they're connected together. And I cut them into six, flipped them up over and there was these little slits large enough for the ants to get in. And I squirt the gel in there because this is what I want the listening audience to understand. You are putting a chemical in your house. And Sygenta said to find the crevices and squirt it. But personally, I don't want to put a chemical in my home. If it's in that little tray, so to speak, of the microbrew beer, um, then you can discard that when your ants are gone. And one of my friends said, uh, did I buy the six pack of beer just to sit there and drink beer and watch the ants come to the traps? And the answer is no. So can you discuss like possibly the colony size in a structure in a home? Like, like there's got to be some, and again, it varies in size, but can you talk a little little bit about that? Yeah, I I would say it's definitely going to be hard to tell how big the colony is in your house. And it's probably going to be hard to see how, like to see how large it is. Um, You know, one way to like locate the nest would obviously be to watch the way the ants are walking when they they find the food source and then they'll take the food source back to their colony. And that's a great way to track where it is. But in oftentimes, you know, carpenter ants, they, they're not like termites in the sense where they like, they don't like fresh wood. They like, they like damp wood. They like wood. That's very easy to dig into. Um, but I think like with a house, like it's a little bit different than living out in a, like a tree trunk in the woods or, in like a decomposing tree where you have a lot of space (laughs) you have a lot of space for the colony to maybe just go crazy and probably less predators around unless you have a very large spider residence (laughs) in your home so I think with like colony size I, I could sense that you could get a pretty big colony inside of your house and if you have you're giving them a lot of if they're, they're getting good access to food and everything, there's potential to have a really big colony in there. And as you mentioned about like having a spider predator of them. And when I moved into my last home, probably like 23 years ago, whatever, I walked into a room and there were large carpenter ants. I went outside because I, I had just closed on the house and I still was going to paint and everything before I moved in. I went outside, found the largest spider I could find went inside to that room, released them in there. And I came back, you know, as I was painting and things, I came back to that room and there was never an ant. And the spider also was gone as well. 
I have not because it's early spring, have not found the spider I'm looking for yet, but he will get there or she will get there. And you were talking about, are the ants leaving a pheromone trail when they're going back and forth? Yeah, they'll be doing that. So once they find, so ants essentially um, for a colony, they'll send out these foragers, these foraging workers, and they'll go out and they'll investigate the environment around them. And once they find a really good food source, um, carpenter ants especially will lay these trails of pheromones. So it'll be easy for other workers to find that trail, to find the same food source, and they can then establish this trail of going back and forth between the colony until that resource is exhausted. And they're pretty good at it. Yes, they are. And you know, it's yeah. funny, I, in the major room that I'm finding the ants and the pheromone trail, and I know exactly where it's at, and the Sygenta product, they're saying that they want the ants to take some of this back to the uh, nest, the colony. And as far as I used to be, I used to try to kill all the ants. And when I see them on the trail, I'm going, okay, you're allowed to walk back and forth because I know that they're going to either grab some of that and die or grab some of that and bring it back to the colony. So, um, and that, that in itself is, for me, is a learning process. But the ultimate thing is, uh, I will go out and find a big spider once. I have not, I've been out on the, on the farm every single day and uh, minus today, because today is a rainy day. And uh, yeah, I, I have not seen the spider I'm looking for, but I shall get that one. So <laughs> Chloe, I chatted before at the very beginning and I said that, you know, our association goes way back. And I just want the listening audience to know that you were a student who moved into my class in the middle of the year in an advanced class. And just about every student that has moved in in the middle of the year in my advanced class flounders. You personally were the shining star. You were absolutely stellar. You were like heads above everyone else. And besides just being a wonderful person, you're a wonderful student as well. And I could see that um, by your knowledge that you shared with us today and just like on and off some of the things that you've spoken about. So before I close, you have a cool Madagascar research story. Why don't you tell us all about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the opportunity in uh, the summer of 2019 to participate in this. It's called the Ant and Canopy uh, Boot Camp. So it was uh, led by some ant researchers at the Cal Academy in San Francisco and NC State. And we... Essentially, me and a group of some other students, some other tree, some tree climbers, uh, a big collaborative group, we all went over to uh, Madagascar in order to learn how to access um, the canopy. So climb into the trees and look for the ants that are in the area. So it's kind of part of an ongoing project to really document really all ants around the world, um, more specifically in Madagascar. Um, so it was really great experience. What it was is we spent some time learning how to climb trees um, using ropes. And then we traveled out to a, a field site in the northwest of the country. It was like a dry forest type area where they've done a lot of a sampling of ants in the understory in the ground. Um, but they hadn't really done too much arboreal sam sampling there. So they hadn't really, they didn't really know which ants were up in the trees there. So it was really great experience of like learning how to 
like climb the trees and learning how to collect ants, ID them in the field. And then we brought all our ants back and we were able to learn a lot of skills of like identifying them down to species and just a lot of aspects of ant biology that I was like exposed to. So like that experience was really crazy. And um, I feel very grateful to have done that because I feel like it really solidified my like excitement about ants and also like my desire to continue doing research. So like this pairing of like spending a long time in the lab, but also getting this really cool experience, like being out in nature and just seeing like how the ants are interacting with their environment. is like, it was so cool. And if I just see like, I could hear it in your voice about, you know, the excitement that's there. And I think there's a lot more excitement that's going to go on in your life because I somehow think that you have many more outdoor ant adventures and, and I think that will happen. So Chloe, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show today and thank you for teaching us all about the carpenter ant. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love any opportunity to talk about ants. I'll be there. <laughs> I know that that is yeah. great. And I wish you all <laughs> the success in your future endeavors. Until next time, enjoy life's adventures. You can follow all of my adventures online at joeyb.tv. That's J-O-E-Y-B-E dot TV. And a very special thank you to the men and women of our armed forces for keeping us free and for our police and firefighters for keeping us safe. May God bless America. Until next time, this is Joey B. Enjoy life's adventures. <laughs>